Yo, yo, how's it all going, people? Hope you are doing good and having a good week so far. So this week's show, I'm really excited to give this one to you guys. Uh, I've just had an amazing conversation with the one and only Mr. Jam. Mr. Jam is a radio presenter from BBC Radio 1 and BBC One Extra. He has been a huge part of British radio since 2005 and is still a huge part of British radio now um had a lovely conversation with him he's a great guy and it's an absolute honor to have him so ladies and gents i want to introduce you to mr jam mr jam we're live how's it going mate oh man this is this is a real honor this is a real honor no man thank you for coming on it's uh i know i was actually thinking about this in the shower weirdly to think that i was thinking of you in the shower this morning but um <laughs> I the first time we've actually only met once and that was in Bournemouth. Yep. Randomly. <laughs> what what even was that party? I wasn't even playing, so I don't know why I was there. I I have no idea what that party was. <laughs> I just remember it being a very, very small, sweaty room, but everybody having a very lovely time, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, it was good times. That was a that was a what that was like three years ago, I think. I know. I know. Mad. How's uh how's life been? Obviously, lockdown has kind of got everyone. It's kind of affected everyone. But you've been like the savior of radio over, like the savior of the UK on radio for the last like four months. Like, how's it been for you? Because you guys haven't stopped at all. I had Charlie T on the podcast at the beginning of lockdown, and like it was obviously she's over at Kiss, um, and it's been crazy for her but i know like you guys have been non-stop on on the radio one and one extra kind of crew yeah i think you know what it's been i'm not gonna lie it's been a very very tough really testing time and i think the thing for me is that i i I feel like i feel very very honored to be in a position where i can be on the radio and you know to dive straight into the kind of spiritual stuff you kind of feel the way that people feel yeah and it felt like i was being of service to people to be able to uplift them with some really really good music you know try and keep things light but it was hard it was very very and it has been very hard because i'm going through it as well as a human you know as as a as a as a dad you know with three kids and you know the loss of of all live income which for me makes up 75 to 80 percent of my income yeah yeah regardless of whatever it is that i do on the radio yeah. the loss of all of that is like okay i've got to pay the mortgage yeah <laughs> i'm having to work twice as hard on radio but there's no way of you know being able to be comfortable with everything so yeah. you know that on top of actually being on the radio and, and and it got to a point where i understood that people were being very frustrated because of the messages that were being sent in yeah but at one point, and one show in particular, you know, I, I, I misspoke or people, some people misheard what I was talking about in terms of the kind of the governmental advice yeah. with stage of lockdown that we were at. And that then turned into pretty much a witch hunt on, on text. Oh, really? while, I'm live, while I'm live on air, you know, people were trying to report me to to newspapers because I'm giving people the wrong information on the BBC oh and BBC broadcaster says this and and then you know someone googled my government name and you know finding out 
where I live. And this is all coming through on text while I'm on air. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. I'm just trying to be here and play some great music and help uplift people. So that's when I was like, I, I need to take some time out. I need yeah. to kind of lower the faders and just get my mind right and, and make sure that I'm kind of feeling strong enough to be able to withstand that storm. When did but, that happen? Uh, it was about th- week three. Okay. Of lockdown, yeah. Where I think, you know, there was no necessarily, no necessary end in sight. I think it was at that point where things had been extended. Yeah. People were almost expecting it to, expecting it to be a three week thing. And then everything's going to be back to normal. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, frustrations rose. Totally. And I completely get that. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's that thing in the back of your mind when you are on national radio and, you, and you're dealing with messages that come in and you want to shout people out and people are texting in saying that they're doing things that aren't necessarily following what the advice is. I've got a responsibility at that point of to course. not. <laughs> yeah, you have. <laughs> especially, being part, especially being part of the BBC, you kind of have to be, right? You kind of have to. <laughs> I mean, my own personal view is you shouldn't be doing that, but yeah, I can't yeah. go on air and go, why are you doing that? Yeah. You know? But then that then turns into people going, well, why aren't you shouting me out? This, that, and it's just, I, I, even with all of that said, it's been an absolute honor to be able to be on the radio and to do what I do, which is my passion, which is my love, which is the thing that I think, you know, drives me to still drive into radio and do yeah. the three hour commute that I do every day, which is just to connect to people. So do you drive? So you you don't you're not you're not you're not based in London. Oh, I know no. you're not from London, obviously, but I didn't know you were you were in you weren't in London now. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I I live in the South Midlands area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it basically means that you know during lockdown it was taking me an hour and ten yeah. to get from my front door to the front door of the BBC. Now things have eased somewhat. It's back to being normal. You know, day, three yeah. three hour commute a day. Damn, dude, that's rough. I didn't know you were doing that commuting every day and do it like are you, are you, what shows are you doing on the BBC? So you're doing one extra drive time. I'm doing one extra drive time, which has been extended by an hour. So I'm on air from three until seven Monday to Thursday, <laughs> and then I'm on air three until seven on a Saturday. Yeah. So I'm leaving my house at one. Yeah. Um, or actually over the course of the past, you know, week or so, I've been leaving my house before one to be able to be live on air at three. And then I'm getting home at like eight, half eight at night after being on air. It's dedication to the radio, man. I love it. I love it. Well, I do. I really do. And, And that's the thing. I think, you know, if you don't have passion for what it is that I do, you can't do the job. No, I totally agree. I think it's something that I speak about a lot. I think we all do, if if I'm totally honest. Um, and it's that you don't, we don't do what we do for what we earn. Because if we, if we put all of our hours in that, that we, let's say for instance, we wanted to be like working banking. If we put all of the hours that we put into our music, into our passion, like we'd be, multi-millionaires <laughs> but the fact is is that <laughs> we just do it because we love it and what well, if we can earn money from it then fucking great it's like perfect 100 percent. i think that's also the thing there's also a misconception about the entertainment industry yeah there's also a misconception around being a producer being a dj being a bbc broadcaster because there are some people within our industry that are multi-millionaires mm-hmm have made that you know those multi-millionaire 
kind of money from making and releasing music, from DJ gigs, from broadcasting, from radio shows, from TV yeah. shows, etc. But the majority of us are people that are in it for the passion. That, yeah. and let's be honest, I'm not just barely scraping by, but yeah. I'm also not comfortable. Yeah, so yeah. it's, it, I, I have to work. Yeah, every of course, day. of course. It's, but I guess the the pros to that is that you absolutely love doing what you do. Yes, but you have to. Yeah, you have to still do it. <laughs> Because if you were on an hourly rate, <laughs> compared to how much you work you put in, yeah, yeah, it's you know, you, you know, you know, as 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 much as anybody else does, you could spend three months of your life on one track, yeah, release that track and get a thousand streams, yeah, and you're not making five pence, <laughs> but you still put that three months into that one track, you know, still got to do it. I've still got to do it. Yeah, I've I've taken like. I took all of last week off of being in the studio and I've gone back in there this week and just like can't do anything at all. I'm just like, you know, those weeks when you're just like, to be fair, it's been like more so like a month of just awful writing. But that's when I get, I don't know if you you relate to this, but like you just start to feel a bit lazy because you're not actually doing anything. And then you're like, oh shit like can i can i make music anymore like what's happened to me i mean it's just like it's, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on um but it's it's kind of strange like so i want to kind of go back a little bit from when it all started with you i was i i, I was <laughs> i was going through your wikipedia this morning <laughs> don't I want, wrong. it's full of shit i know i was gonna say were you actually an actor or are you an actually an actor I was actually, yeah, I, I, I firmly, firmly, firmly quit um, acting. I firmly quit acting <laughs> um, about 12 years ago because of an experience that I had with the last acting job that I did, which was like, no, I'm not doing this. Okay. I can't do which I might get to at some point. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, when I was a kid, when I first kind of, when I was a very small kid, so from the age of seven, yeah. there was a thing in, in my hometown of Nottingham called the Junior Television Workshop. Mm-hmm. That essentially was a free drama group that you could go to. Yeah. It was run by the local TV station, uh, Central TV. So the idea was is that it would take kids from across the city, the, you know, the, the middle class kids that went to private school, kids like me who were working class and went to, you know, the local comprehensive. Yeah. If you had a passion and a love for acting and drama and performing, you could go here and you could essentially learn your craft, but learn it in kind of almost like a youth clubby way. Yeah. So from the age of seven, I was going there. And because it was funded and, and backed by a TV company, uh, regularly you'd have casting directors come in and you'd have casting directors looking to cast for TV shows, for films, for commercials, for whatever. But it wasn't a stage school. You know, it was very different to like a Brit school or yeah. a Sylvia Young or, you know, any of those kind of proper stage schools that there are in, in this country. It was much more of like a, a loose drama group. And from that, you know, any, if you've ever watched anything that Shane Meadows has been involved with, the actors that he uses in all of his stuff were from the television workshop. Okay. So amazing actors like Vicky McClure, a friend of mine that I grew up with was also from the television workshop and people will know her from line of duty. People will know her from the dementia choir thing okay. that she did, you know, so many different TV programs, yeah. uh, people like Toby Kebbell, uh, who was in rock and roller, who was in massive Hollywood blockbusters. He's from the television workshop. Oh, okay. People like Samantha Morton, 
who uh, was in Minority Report, yeah. who was in Sweet and Lowdown with Woody Allen, who was in The Walking Dead. She's Television Workshop and, oh, no you know, way. I grew up with her. So these are all really, really amazing actors that have come from this same thing. Yeah. And for me, I was always interested in it and I was always around it and I'd get cast with bit parts doing this, that and the other. And then uh, around about the year 2000, there was a TV daytime soap that used to run in the 60s, 70s and 80s that got cancelled called Crossroads. Yeah. And they decided that they wanted to bring it back. And I got cast in a role for that. And it was interesting because the whole process for that was I got cast in this role as someone that worked in the kitchens of it. It was set in a hotel, a soap, a daytime soap that was set in a hotel. And I got cast in the role of one of the people that worked in the kitchen. And when they were casting the role, they were asking me what my interests were, what it was that I liked to do so that they could write stuff that was a little bit more about me. Yeah. And I was saying, I, I love DJing. I'm a DJ. I want to be a DJ. Yeah. Uh, I love music. So they wrote this character for me that was a guy that worked in the kitchens in a hotel in this daytime soap that was also had aspirations of being a DJ okay. and ran a pirate radio station from a caravan <laughs> in the back of this hotel. That's so good. And that was, it was a ridiculous kind of experience, but you know, that's what I did when I was, you know, a lot of people have jobs that they do when they're 18. Yeah, that's what yeah, I did. Of course, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, and it was an amazing experience. And from that, I managed to get into a West End musical. Okay. <laughs> so I spent a year <laughs> singing professionally. So are you a good a- singer? I used to be. Yeah. That <laughs> means you still are. Come on, man. You can still say you're good. I mean, it entirely depends as to whether or not we collab on a track and I do vocals for you. Okay. Let's try it. <laughs> Let's try it. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, that was also coincided with very early days of me trying to be a DJ and trying yeah. to figure how I could break into the music industry because music's always been my first love, my first passion. But the kind of the route into that was so less clearer than it was a route into acting for me because I'd been going to the workshop and, you know, going to the workshop and being there as long as I had done and seeing Sam Morton move from Nottingham to go over to Hollywood, to be in these Hollywood films, seeing, you know, Shane Meadows cast all of my friends yeah. in his films and those films become critically acclaimed and to grow. It was like, okay, I can potentially see a route for me with acting, but I don't have no idea I can break into music. Yeah. That's interesting. So when did it get to, cause did you originally go to radio one extra, like in 2005 or something like that? Yeah. And then did you stop and then go back no, or you no, just I've, I've stayed in from 2005. Yeah. yeah, so I've been there for 15 years now, uh, which I think you know you can see the grey hairs in my beard if yeah. it wasn't for the microphone in the way, which is is Tell nowhere near it. yours. Tell but it's, me it's about getting, it. <laughs> it's getting big, there. mate. It's getting bigger. If <laughs> <laughs> you cut it at all, no, no, good man. No. I went it's, to. It's I actually on a side subject. I went to get my hair cut the other day, and I like. I don't know if you have this, but I go to a barber's that I refused to cheat on um and i went in and he was like mate i can't cut your beard i'm not allowed to legislations are like saying i i'm not allowed to touch your beard and i'm like are you serious like my beard is gonna be ridiculously big (laughs) by the time you're allowed to cut it again so you need to take it to 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 back to the 90s rave style and just put plaits in it i know i just look look like a massive hippie though (laughs) <laughs> it's a look will it would work <laughs> it's a look i would be abused so badly online trust me it's not even worth it 
People would love it. Trust me. True. People would love it. True. So going back to uh, One Extra 2005, how did that start? Like how, wh- where, where's the, where does the, the uh, where does the bridge of, of all of that start? Um, the potted version of it is the, the really, the kind of the love for music while I was still at the workshop meant that I was always interested in trying to be a DJ. Yeah. So I remember there was like a Christmas party that we had at the workshop when I was about 11 and they hired, they hired a DJ. Yeah. And I spent the entire Christmas party stood next to this guy watching. That's amazing. He was just kind of, he was just a working jock. Mm-hmm. He wasn't necessarily, you know, a, a famous DJ. He was yeah. just a working jock, but I was just so fascinated by it. The year afterwards, again, they hired the same guy. I stood next to him, age 12, watching him do it, coincided with my cousin, um, my older cousin, Danny, who's responsible for a lot of my, you know, musical taste. And, you know, I still have his In The City album um, that I should probably give back to him at some point that I knew <laughs> in the early 90s. Um, he brought a video of the old film Juice on um, VHS round to my house. Yeah. And watching that, the old Tupac film, watching that, there's a DJ in it. Uh, or that It's all about DJ culture, essentially, and hip-hop DJ culture. And watching Omar Epps, act as a DJ, but watching him cutting up on turntables was like, what, you can do that? Yeah. That's and then putting that together with the guy that I was watching at the, the television workshop, Christmas parties, after a couple of years of basically pestering him, he spoke to the guy that led the workshop and said, next year, you don't have to book me, just book him. Just get him to do the party. That's amazing. I love that. So from that point onwards, it was like, okay, cool. I could maybe do this. Yeah, yeah. And because I'd had a few acting jobs... I had luckily enough money to be able to kind of buy a shitty all-in-one. <laughs> yeah. And that was the first thing that I did. And I, I started to learn on that and, and trying to figure out how I could play music and do that. That coincided when I was 13, 14 of seeing this thing at a local youth club uh, called Dark. Yeah. Dark stood for Drugs Awareness, Reality and Knowledge. I'll always remember that. The idea was, is that the council had funded this thing um, at the youth club that had a recording studio attached to it, whereby if you went there and you got um, drug awareness kind of schooling yeah. and you had black history schooling, if you got good enough grades, you got free studio time. Cool. So like I got that. good enough grades in that. Yeah. I got the free studio time and I learned how to DJ properly. I learned how to sound engineer properly, but this is way back in the day. So I forgot all of that. shit. <laughs> um, so I was making beats I was DJing and I started to DJ for a hip hop crew. And my first professional gig was at the Hacienda when we were 14. No way. Manchester. Yeah. So we got booked. Who was the hip hop crew? If you don't mind me asking. Called out the Ville from okay. Nottingham. Okay. So if you, if you, if you're okay with your UK hip hop, people like Scorsese, yeah. uh, people like Lee Ramsey, they, these are the people that were in this crew with me. And we got booked to do, um, uh, uh, um, it was a launch party for the Capone and Noriega album, The War Report, at the Hacienda in Manchester, literally two weeks before it shut down Damn, forever. dude. And it was us, amazing. Tony Touch, and DJ Semtex was the promoter. And, I, you know, I was 14. Yeah. Part, I think part of the reason why the Hacienda shut down forever is because they were letting 14-year-olds go. <laughs> but, you know, that's an amazing kind of first gig. And yeah. from that point onwards, I'm like, so that's running concurrently with me being at school yeah. with me having kind of summer jobs and summer jobs to try and be able to pay for me to buy music yeah, and also going, continuing to go to this community recording studio at the youth club and then another 
community recording studio called the community recording studio that was run by the brother of the guy that ran the original one. Yeah. So my weeks were spent at school trying to learn whatever it was that I could being in bands at school, being in indie bands at school. Then at nighttime, going home and trying to learn how to DJ at the weekend, going to this community recording studio, spending the entire weekend there, going to the workshop, doing all of this kind of stuff, trying to earn money to try and pay for music. You fast forward then to after the TV show has flopped and cancelled and taken off air and I haven't got a job there and then going down to London and being in a musical and that closing after a year. I linked up with a few friends in Nottingham and we started to put on events. Okay. So I was borrowing money on my credit card at that point to be able to pay to book artists travel into Nottingham for us to put on shows. Uh, at the same time as being on pirate radio, at the same time as having kind of convinced the local university radio station to let me on. Yeah. Uh, and trying to get my foot in the door and figure out how I could make this shit work. Yeah, yeah. What I could do to make this shit work. So we're doing these events and we put on an event by a rapper called KRS-One. Yeah. Legendary New York rapper calls himself the teacher he's very much about knowledge krs1 stands for knowledge reigns supreme over nearly everybody his whole thing is we've got to be a teacher we've got to teach people it's all about this it's all about that it's yeah. great i love that so we've booked him and we've got in touch with one extra because the woman who ran the pirate station that i was on her son was on one extra okay uh, when it originally launched so we got in touch with them and said look we're doing this event in nottingham would you want to come and do a live broadcast from this we also want to do like a lecture the day afterwards because this guy's the teacher they say yeah it's a great idea because i'm involved in the promo because i'm involved in the, the team that's actually putting on the event of yeah. course i'm going to book myself yeah of course i played the warm-up set before he went on uh in front of the management at one extra and they said to me afterwards oh do you do radio i said yeah they said well do you have any demos can you pull together your demos for tomorrow when we see you at this lecture? So I went home after the gig. The gig finished probably at about 1am. I was up until like 7am getting eight hours of radio shows ready to hand over to them on CD and on mini disc. I recorded a pilot myself because I'm thinking this is an opportunity that's never going to come again. Yeah, of course. Turned up to the lecture, gave them this eight hours worth of, 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 of me on the radio. And they said, I'm not going to listen to this. Why don't you come down to London <laughs> <laughs> in a couple of weeks? Because we can see you serious. Yeah. Come down to London and try out properly. Yeah. So I went down to London. Um, I piloted for a show on One Extra. I left the building with the show in 2005 and I've been there ever since. No way, man. That's It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Because I think we all have something like that where we're just trying to do absolutely anything we can and something just happens. And it's just, it's, it's hard. Like a lot of people say it's luck, but I don't think it is because it's just hard work. Yeah. You like, even if you weren't there now, you'd still be trying to do something. And like, it, it happened the same for me. Like I had success early on and then it kind of went away. It, but then I look at it and it wasn't success. It was just part of the journey. And it's just part of that journey to kind of get on. Um, and then when you get there, you just got to keep going and keep going because you don't know when it's going to end. You, no, do, you really no. don't know when it's going to end. That So that kind of, when you when you talk about the first show that you, when you asked one extra to come and do a live broadcast, that, I don't, I think you, I think we have like a mutual friend. Do you know Tom Brown that works he he um does all of the ibiza stuff with the bbc I know, tom. I know tom very well so tom is a very good friend of mine i used to work for him in ibiza 
Um, <laughs> and I literally had a conversation with him yesterday and I'm going to try and get him on this podcast because some of his stories of the old uh, BBC days and Radio London and things like that were amazing. But this is something that like a lot of the BBC does this amazing thing where they always put on parties mm. and they always used to support a, maybe a lot more what you they used to do it a lot more than maybe what they do now but it's something that no no other like country gets no. like that we have this amazing thing with the BBC where they kind of give back so much to the community on culture and music mm. what's like it's you what's Very like unique you're right though no- it is. It's. It's. I. I think obviously because the BBC is paid by taxpayer. I guess it's by the license fee, isn't it? Um, I, I. I mean, I don't know. I. I think from from my perspective, I don't know why it's such an integral part of the BBC. But I'm just grateful that it is. Totally. Totally. I. I think it's amazing. It is, and it, and it gives people an opportunity to kind of, you know, I think back to. You know, you mentioned Ibiza. I think back to listening to Radio 1 in Ibiza and it being something that made me want to go to Ibiza, that made me want to be part of this thing that, you know, gave me an experience of something that I would never have had otherwise. And and that's unique, isn't it? There's no other country in the world. We're so lucky with it. So lucky. And I say it every time with like the BBC, we're, we're, we're super fortunate with. But talking about the events, like what was your... What was your, what's the kind of like the moment when you're, you became part of the furniture at the BBC and you were like doing these events live and you're like, wow, this is, this is it. Like, what are we, like, we're, we're actually creating like a movement here. Like this is, this is going to be part of British culture and history for years. Like, is there ever been a point where you just sat back and been like, yeah, this is it. To be honest really honest i still don't feel like i'm part of the furniture and i think that that's part of the reason why my work ethic is such yeah um that you know i still feel i still feel honored to be able to be where i am and do what it is that i do yeah i think there's been so many pinch yourself moments that i've been very very lucky to be part of yeah on the bbc and kind of talking specifically about the events you know the big weekends that radio was it was because of a, a, of Justice missing their flight at Big Weekend 2008 that gave me an opportunity to play a second set on the outdoor stage at Big Weekend as a one extra DJ that could play dance music that allowed me to be able to play dance music on yeah. that stage that the Radio 1 management saw me and was like, who's this kid? Oh, he's on one extra. We should give him an opportunity on Radio 1. That's amazing. So that was a moment and, yeah. and that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the fact of big weekends. But again, like that's, that's something for me that again says I had no hand in that. I would just happen to be the right person at the right time with the right background that was able to do that and take that opportunity, which was an amazing thing to do. And it could, was it look, was it coincidence? I don't know. All my job is, is to put my absolute all into that. Totally. I think as well on top of that is over the course of the past couple of years, the, the the things that I've been able to be and been allowed to be part of as part of Radio One's Ibiza weekend, yeah, been ridiculously amazing, because like I say, I, I'm someone that has grown up listening to that, yeah. And I remember standing in the crowd in 2015 at Ushuaia and seeing you know Annie Mac and Pete Tong and a young Danny Howard stand on stage at Ushuaia 
and looking at that and going, I'd love to do that one yeah. day. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I'm on the, the rocks outside Cafe Mambo doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice so, feeling, yeah, isn't it? It's, yeah, there's so many of those kind of things. And I think that's, that's, that's the thing for me. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not supposed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you look at my history and if you look at where I've come from and what I do, and even, you know, the fact of I'm the first non-white person to have a dance music show on Radio 1. Yeah, it's amazing. The odds are pretty much stacked against me. So anything that I get the chance to do and be there and, and, and be part of is it, it still feels like wow. Okay, wow. let's let's talk about that then. Being yes. the like if you if you if you don't mind, being the the first non white, being the first black guy doing a show in dance music on, on the radio one. I had June Farris on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago and we kind of discussed a, a lot of these kind of things and issues and but it's strange to think that because coming as a coming as a white guy in this scene obviously I know the history like I live in Detroit I know the history I know a lot of the kind of people that I don't know necessarily the old old guys that because some of them aren't even around sadly but I know I'm mates with some of them that, that are around and it's never been something that I've kind of looked at as like a racism thing if you know what I mean? I've, just, it's, I've just it's just never clicked in my head because i don't view it as an issue if you know what i mean it is like i've not ever thought but thinking about it like it's pretty crazy that you're the first person in dance music to have a show on radio one when it is a black culture it started as a black culture and it still is it obviously i would say it's not just a black culture now but See, also the thing is that I think I think that where I think that the conversation I, and I understand the discomfort that comes from some people with this conversation I think that they feel that it might be an exclusive thing but it's yeah. not it's, it's always been inclusive and it's funny we're having this conversation today um, I was very very lucky yesterday to be kind of chairing a conversation with Kevin Saunderson yeah Eric Murillo yeah Ray and Funk Butcher about black culture and dance music. Yeah. And I think that the point that was made by all of us was that, you know, there is no universal language better than music. And there's no universal musical language better than the umbrella of dance music. It's made for the world. It's for the world to be able to kind of take. There's so many subgenres. There's so yeah. many different flavors of it. But I can go to Malawi and I can play a record and get the same response that I can get uh, in a basement in Manchester. Yeah, totally. And that doesn't happen with many genres. That doesn't happen with many of the things because it's about the upliftment. It's about the energy. It's about what it is. But what we don't have within dance music that they do very well with every other genre really is an acknowledgement of where it came from yeah, and a celebration of where it came from. You know, we've got the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. But no matter what happens, you know that the Rolling Stones were inspired by black musicians, by yeah. Chuck Berry, by Bo Diddley, by those artists. You know that that's where the Rolling Stones got that from. No matter what happens, you know that Sister Rosetta Tharp was the person that was the first rock and roll singer that yeah, Elvis yeah. Presley covered her songs. Yeah. And y y we have that as a knowledge now because over the years, rock and roll and rock music 
has always paid homage to its roots. Yeah. Dance music doesn't do that. So you have a knowledge of it, Will, because of where you've come into it and where you've come from. But totally. I know that there are people that are listening to this podcast right now that didn't know about the Bellevue 3, that don't yeah. know about where techno comes from, that yeah. don't know about Larry Levan or Frankie Knuckles, that don't understand or, or kind of want to understand around where drum and bass comes from, where jungle comes from, where garage comes from, yeah. where all of this comes from. And I think that I think that there's there's the uncomfortable conversations that we're having at the moment around this are because there's been a lot of people that almost kind of say it doesn't really affect me. So I don't have to think about it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that where I think people are coming at it from now is we can't erase where this has come from, because I think that when you look at the big dance acts in the world at the moment, there's very few non-white ones. There's very few non-white male ones. Yeah. And I think that where we've, where we've come on leaps and bounds with conversations around mental health, we've come on leaps and bounds with conversations around gender, we've come on leaps and bounds with conversations around sexuality. Racism is still something that gets swept under the carpet because it's still a little bit too uncomfortable. It's still a little bit too taboo. No, yeah. And typically talking about dance music, I mean, you know, to quote Amanda Seals, it feels like people want the rhythm, but without the blues. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. And we can't, I don't think we can move forward without acknowledging where we are and to try and figure out what we do to move forward as a community of people who stand for unity, love, who stand for upliftment, who stand for positivity, who stand for what the dance music community stands for, but we still turn a blind eye to to racism. I, I don't think that we'll continue on in that same vein. No, I totally agree. I think it's it's a it's been really interesting, um, especially from like from where I'm at is because I live in I'm from uh, the UK and I live in the middle of the countryside in in the UK and like there's well Bristol is the closest city for me, which has this like unbelievable culture of everything in music really it has this amazing history of music it's had some amazing artists and things like that and then on my other side of my life i live in detroit which has obviously had this amazing history of 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 house techno and everything like that but detroit has also had this insane kind of well i'm sure kevin spoke about it with with you but this diversity and more so how black and whites are just not together it's just Mm. not one if you know what i mean and it it was really strange for me to experience that obviously america i i feel america has racism racism is a lot more prominent in america and there's a lot more divide in in america um but i didn't realize it was that bad until i moved there Mm. because i was just completely unaware of it if i'm totally honest and I think it's it's that things that I, I as a person I just didn't ever think about it, which mm. and I think these these conversations they need to be happening, um, and I think it's I think it's just about making sure that the generations below us that that don't know know, if you know what I mean, and I think I think it's about just being everyone being nice and everyone being like respectful to each other and just showing that like this is what this is why we do it and this is 
this is the reason why we are where we are today. And this is why this, whatever it is we're trying to teach this, the history is there and it doesn't get forgotten about, forgotten about. I think as well, it's about an acknowledgement of where things are and how we've got to this space. And I think it is about looking at the fact that, you know, you talk about the segregation that's happened in Detroit. Yeah. We now know that that's because of yeah. segregation. Yeah. They now know it's because of Jim Crow. They now know it's because of redlining. They know yeah. that it was because of specific practices. Yeah were practiced in America that that basically meant this is the black area, this is the white area. The black area is not going to have a chance to be able to build generational wealth. The white area can. And then the outliers are the people that are able to operate between the two. But what you get from that is you get amazing art. But what happens is is then you get people that saying, I really love your art, but I don't love you, so I'll take your art. Thank you very much. Stay there. I think that where we are with that is we, we now cannot escape those things as facts. And I think that where we are worldwide is that we can't escape the fact that over here in this country, in, in England, we have the empire. Yeah. You know, we have history of empire that I know that I wasn't taught at school. I know that I learned it through dark drugs, awareness, reality and knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> and that was an extracurricular thing that I went to in the evenings where I was like, okay, I, I now understand this. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I know that there's a lot of people that don't get where this thing comes from, where, you know, the society that we live in, how it was built. And I think that it's only if you have knowledge of how things were built that allows you to then move forward and, and dismantle those things that aren't fair so that we can build something that is fairer for all. And and it's about equality, you know, and equality of, of opportunity as well as, know aspiration as well as all of the things that a lot of people may take for granted i think the start of it comes from realizing that it's not equal so what can we do to make it yeah so how forward what's what's your thoughts on black history month because i'll tell you my thoughts before you kind of go forward but there's two ways i look at it i but i don't necessarily agree with it because i don't think we should just have it is a month. I think it this should it just should just be part of our life. Like there's black white there's black people, there's white people, there's Asian people, there's Indian there's like everybody, if you know what I mean. And we all know, or not everyone knows, but majority of people know that we all came from black kind of heritage. Every nearly everyone in the world has got black heritage, okay? And I think black history should just be a huge part of our lives. I don't think it should just be one month of yeah. of of the of the world. I think my thoughts around it are slightly complex because I think I think first and foremost history is history. Yeah. But history is always told from the side of the victor. Yeah. Which is why it's his story. Mhm. You know what I mean? It's it's totally. it's 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 not necessarily a fair representation of everything. But I think that if you were to look at what we specifically take in the UK for a moment, yeah, what we look at or what we kind of deem as Black history is our history. Yeah, is history of the British Empire. Yeah, is the history of humanity. Is the history of all of us. But to understand how you know even the concept of race, where that came from, yeah. and how that manifests itself to understanding, you know, what the the transatlantic slave trade did and where the wealth went and how, you know, up until 
2015, the British taxpayer was still paying the debt that was owed by the nation to former slave owners for what was said to be their loss of property that yeah. led to the abolition of slavery. All of those kind of things. That's not black history. That's our history. Yeah, yeah. But if we don't have something in place right now that puts a spotlight on that, it could quite easily be swept under the Go carpet. away, yeah. And I think that that's where it's, I have a complex relationship with Black History Month because I think that it's it's really, 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 really necessary for us to highlight this. Yeah. It's also quite sad that we have to highlight Yeah, no, this. I agree with you. I agree with you on that. And I guess it's, it's strange, right? Because I think for me, the answer to this, a lot of it starts from education, from being a child, right? Like, I don't know when you're at school, but all we learned about really was World War One and World War Two, with our with the UK history and like Henry the Eighth, like killing all of his wives. Like there was <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing really else to kind of that we were taught, and I I think that's kind of where the fist the system fails because then the next part of it is where we learn is from our parents if if we have parents around when we're a child and then i guess the next thing is the internet or films and we all know films never really tell the truth unless it's unless it is based on a true story so i i guess for me it's like where how do we how do we change the education system to educate people like even music right i i remember being taught about the 12 bar blues and I was never really taught about the history of it. Yeah. Like there was never really any history in the music mm. in, in, in school. My music teacher was a knobhead. Like I couldn't stand <laughs> it. <laughs> but like, I, I think there's, there's lots of things that, at school that you could be taught about, mm. which even... Your parents don't, even my parents don't know in certain situations because they've never been taught. No. That's where I think that this, it's almost like we're drawing, as a society, we're drawing a line in the sand at this mm. point, which is, you know, I'm a firm believer in what, what Maya Angelou says, which is, you know, if you know better, you can do better. Yeah. And that's all, that's all it is. Totally. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who... And I, I talk about mental health a lot because, bless you. Thank you. I talk about mental health a lot because I'm someone that suffers and has suffered and will probably continue to suffer with mental health issues yeah. in self-esteem, in, you know, bullying, in depression, in anxiety, in lots of different various ways. But the attitude that we have now as a society in 2020 is dramatically different to the attitude that we had as a society yeah. to four or five years ago and that's because we were having conversations about it yeah yeah that's because people have educated themselves on what is happening and we have had specific conversations around you know what check up on your friends yeah, yeah. have conversations with them let's no longer say oh stop crying be a man about it or let's not let's start reaching out to each other you know let's 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 try and change what the status quo yeah. is we're only really at the start of that conversation with racism and race issues. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think, I, I think that where we have been 
is not where we're going to be. But this is just the very start of a change. And the most recent that we have, Me Too movement, mental health, these are all conversations that have changed the status quo, that have educated people in a way that they didn't have access to that before. And if you know better, you can do better. No, I totally agree. This kind of goes on to a... We're kind of getting deep and I like it. But (laughs) (laughs) this, I'd like to know your thoughts on your thoughts and feelings on social media when it comes to first of all racism what we're talking about and also like mental health like how how is how does it got to you how has it affected you in positives or negatives like um i think for us in the industry that we're in i think unfortunately it's kind of it's a necessary evil Mm -hmm. um i try as hard as possible to put out there now because there was a time where I wasn't, I wasn't like this and I don't want to ever be holier than now, but I try as hard as possible to only try and put out positivity. Yeah. And that might mean that there may be weeks that I don't post stuff. There might be weeks that I don't interact with stuff, but that's because I'm, I'm trying to get myself to a space where I'm very much the kind of person that will take something personally. Yeah. And you know, the way that my my head works is that it might be just a slight flippant comment, but that flippant comment might sit in my head and influence how I interact with people in the real world over the course of the following two weeks. So I've got to try and build up some sort of resilience to that. And the best resilience that I think that I can build is to sometimes turn off and not engage yeah. and not be part of it. I think that where we are with the conversation that's happening at the moment with with the way that the world is, is that there's a lot of stuff that's out there that can upset me. Yeah. And I have to be mindful of that. And I have to make sure that I disengage. But also when I do feel like I've got something that I can pass on, that I pass it on. That yeah. I try and be as positive as I can be. But I think, you know, the the echo chamber is true. I, I I tend to follow people that have similar worldviews yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah. Because sometimes I will go to social media because I want to escape and I want to feel good. Yeah. And I don't really want to be challenged. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I might I might just block people that say things that I don't agree with or that yeah. I don't want to see or hear, which then kind of adds into that echo chamber thing. And I think, you know, the bottom line is is that we as artists, as producers, as DJs who have messages and and, and music that we want to get out there, we have to engage with social media. But I think it's about how do you engage with social media? And I think that the thing that taught me that was a couple of years ago, a good few years ago, actually, I was doing a tour, a UK tour. And it was a UK tour of kind of high street clubs. Um, And I made a comment around being someone who used to be and still is the warm-up DJ and used to be and still does play all night sets. Yeah. If you're playing bangers at 10 o'clock, it kind of ruins the night for everybody else. Yeah. That was my point of view at that point. I could have phrased it a lot better. I tweeted it. It blew up. <laughs> and I had the entire, what felt like the entire drum and bass scene coming for me. I had memes made about me. I had just so much 
a bombardment and a barrage of kind of negative energy around something that I put out there that wasn't supposed to be negative. But again, reading back, I can see how people might have taken that as being negative. That taught me a massive lesson because it really affected me. Yeah. Really, really, really affected me. And that was the first time that I realized that I might be able to switch off Twitter or log out or delete the app, but I'm still left with these thoughts in my head. Totally. So what can I do to make sure that if I'm interacting with someone or, you know, something like that happens, what can I do to make sure that I'm resilient enough to be able to deal with that? Yeah. The first thing that I thought is I can't put that negativity out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you put that negativity out there, it's going to come back. It's going to come Regardless back. Regardless of what I might think or feel or whatever, there are things that you don't put on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. For me, especially over this kind of, uh, since COVID's kind of happened, I've like, I'm generally 99% always really positive on social media and have used it always as like a positive kind of tool. I'm, I'm a positive person, if you know what I mean. Um, but we all have that we all have that kind of voice in our head, the like negativity side that we all have that. Um, But I think for me more so during lockdown, I think a lot of people are going through a lot of sensitive times or a lot of tough times in their lives. And there's an awful lot of sensitive people out there, including me, including myself. Like I would, I, I, I'm not one to call people out on, on online and I'm not one to kind of, get involved with anything like that and or talk about my views or politics and things like that just purely because i don't want to upset anyone and i i end See, I've, got, I've got to the space where it's not about upsetting anyone other than i don't want to upset myself okay yeah it's that because, backlash isn't it it's that yeah. it's, it's that is it worth is it worth saying something in the grand scheme of life is it worth is it worth giving your little bit of rice in there and just like just digging the fire and just like making it worse? Or is it worth to just shut the hell up and just crack on with your day and enjoy your day with your kids or your family or something like that? Does it need to be said? Yeah. Does it need to be said right now? Does it need to be said by me? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I, 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 used, to, I used to love, because I was in that mind space i used to love a twitter back and forth because i'm going to be smarter than you and i'm going to score points and (laughs) my point of view is right and my opinion is the right opinion and everybody else is wrong and i think for me i grew up and i grew up because i had to grow up because i had some really bad experiences and i couldn't deal with what came back yeah i couldn't deal with it so what 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 can i do do i need to say it do i need does this need to be said this needs to be said right now. Does this need to be said by me? And 90% of the time I can go, does this need to be said? Yes. Does this need to be said by me? No. Do I need to say it right now? No. Okay. So maybe someone else can say it. Yeah. Maybe I can just put my phone down. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's a really dangerous time for anybody in the industry or anybody that has a following because I've seen it. I've seen it. Somebody says one thing and that's all they're tarnished with and they're, they're cancelled. They're game over. And I think also for you, I don't know, I don't know how you view on this, but obviously you work for the BBC. Like, do you have to be careful? Is that talked about? As a human? Yeah. 
I want to put out positive stuff. Yeah. And sometimes to put out positive stuff means that there's going to be some things that are challenging for some people. For example, I've had people challenging me on some of the stuff that I've been posting around what has happened with the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. But I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to unite. I'm trying to uplift. Yeah. And again, my job is to try and unite, is to try and uplift, is to try and entertain. Yeah. There are people whose job it is to also educate. And that's not what I see as my job. Yeah. And I know that my opinion is like my arsehole. <laughs> Everyone's got one. And chances are you, the only person that likes the smell of your own arsehole is you. It's you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that analogy, but I love it. <laughs> like, let's, I mean, let's, let's take it there. Like if, if no one wants to be the farter in the lift. No. Fart in the lift, you find it funny. Nobody else does. <laughs> <laughs> That's an opinion for me on social media. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I do have opinions but I try and have them to be informed opinions and people don't necessarily, I don't care whether people hear my opinions. I care whether people are able to be, whether I'm able to be of service to people with what it totally. is like. No, I, I care whether I can make a record that could uplift someone. I care whether, you know, I can write a song that could uplift someone. I care whether I can play a record on the radio or I can, be stupid on the radio at the right time that would uplift someone that I care about. Yeah. Talking about politics on, on Twitter. I, 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 not for me, not for me. I think, also, I, I think also it's, I, I think there's certain things that just can be spoken about on Twitter and can't and, or social media. Like we could probably have a conversation about politics for two hours and kind of get somewhere between us. I don't know your po political background, but I know fucking nothing about politics, <laughs> but I know that we could probably have a pretty good conversation because we're, it's you and me. No one else is kind of shouting at us. I'm sure people are listening and shouting at us and saying things, but we can't hear that. We're not being, we're not being kind of affected by anybody else. And it's just a long form conversation. And I think there's certain things that need to be spoken about in a long form conversation. It, it can't be a five minute interview. It can't be this. It can't be that. Like there's certain issues. There's certain topics in life that has to have a conversation about. I think that there are some people who are absolutely fantastic at sparking a conversation on social media. And I think that there are some people that are out there that are absolutely fantastic at kind of, you know, agitating a conversation on social yeah. media. And, and they're able to kind of, you know, turn that into something else. I'm not one of those people. Yeah, I think yeah. that as, as I'm getting older and as I'm kind of, you know, realizing and, and, and really trying to grow and mature as a human, I realize that there are some people that do that. I don't have to be that person. And yeah. I think that there are certain conversations that I personally don't want to have. There are certain opinions that I haven't fully formed. There are certain things that I just... I don't think of for me to speak on or to be part of. Yeah, and, totally. And unfortunately, I've learned it the hard way yeah. because I am of a generation who, you know, grew up being on the internet, yeah. who, you know, remembers MSN and MySpace yeah. and AOL. But then who remembers who, you know, I've been on Twitter since 2007. Yeah. I didn't realize in 2007 that I could put a tweet out there that could come back and bite me on the backside in 2020. My views, I'm a completely different human. Yeah. yeah. 
everything that was in 2007 is not now. It's got into making me who I am, but that's where I kind of go to. Does this need to be said? (laughs) Does this need to be said right now? Does this need to be said by me? I think really, if that is a litmus test, yeah, nine times out of ten means that I I don't want to put shit out there that. I don't feel that I could stand by in 20 years time. No, totally. And that's the same, I think, as, as, as being an artist. Like, I want to be able to express myself here and now, but I don't want to put something out there that I wouldn't be able to stand beside in 20 years. I totally agree with you. And that's the first thing that I say to anyone about releasing music is because I've done that so many times in the past where I've released music that I thought is going to be an absolute hit. And then, Two years later, I'm like, why the fuck did I release that? (laughs) (laughs) And then I think it's a lesson that I just don't think you can tell people, though. I think it's a lesson that people have to learn. And then you look at certain people, you look at certain artists and you're like, oh, my God, every single one of their releases, their back catalogue is just unbelievable. And then you speak to them and they're like, yeah, I didn't like that one. Wish I didn't release that. And it's just like, it's a lesson that we all have to, you have to learn kind of by yourself and you have to go through those ups and downs as being an artist. Um, when, when did you start releasing music? Uh, my first release was in 2002. Um, you know, I, 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 I was trying to go into the youth club, learn how to make beats, yeah. learn how to stripe a, a reel-to-reel tape. Yeah. Uh, it was on uh, 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 an Atari computer running Cubase and old Akai outboard samplers and old kind of Roland uh, outboards sound banks and stuff like that. So I used to make beats. They were all shit. Um, <laughs> then post the TV program and, and trying to get into the music industry while having a day job at a credit card company. Um, I was trying to make music and working with amazing people that were within the, the hip hop scene at that point. And I managed to make something on my MPC 2000 XL which I still wish I had Classic. Uh, that was good enough to be released. And it was with a, a rapper called Shabazz, the disciple who's from New York, who's a Wu-Tang affiliate. I believe he's like Riz's cousin. Okay. Um, so that was put out on like an underground American hip hop label. Yeah. Uh, and then nothing else happened. Like I'd make beats and hundreds and hundreds of beats. And recently I put, just put a load of them up on SoundCloud just to put them up. Yeah. Because what I used to do is to escape the world, I used to just go and make beats. Yeah. And I'd make anything. I'd try and make anything. Um, but the only piece of equipment that I had was this sampler, was the Akai 2000 MPC 2000 XL. And over the years, that itch became harder and harder to scratch. So I was, as, as, as I was becoming more successful as a DJ, and breaking other people's music on the radio and playing other people's music on the radio, I was able to invest in equipment, yep. in, you know, a laptop that could run Logic and Ableton, <laughs> yeah. in MIDI keyboards and speakers and stuff like that. And I was always making beats. I was always making stuff, but I was never confident in any of it. Yeah. Because if I'm playing the New World Clark record and I've made something and I'm comparing what I've made to the new World Clark record. I know that what I've made is shit. So stay on my hard drive. <laughs> we we got to hold that back. We got to go, we got we got to stop there because this is something that every artist does. And 
comparison is literally the worst thing anyone can ever do, right? Oh, it's the thief of joy. It is. It is. <laughs> it fucking destroys you. So, so Breach, Ben West Beach, it, like that was, he was that to me. Like, <laughs> and I don't think he even knows that. I've, I've only met him once. Um, and every, when I was like, getting serious into music every time I'd write a music, write a record and then go listen to a breach record. I was like, Oh my God, it's awful. Just give up. <laughs> Don't give up. Don't bother. Just yeah. leave it alone. But imagine, imagine you've got that, but you're also the guy on the radio that's playing those records first. Yeah. You're the guy on the radio that's listening to those records and hearing those records and go, wow, <laughs> I can't do that. I'm just not gonna. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna give up. I'm just not gonna. I give up, and and that that itch became harder and harder and harder to scratch for me. Yeah, and I think you know, yes, the comparison comparison is the thief of joy, it and is. I'm getting myself. I'm still not there yet, I, and I'm still a work in progress as a human and as a producer and as an artist and as someone who wants to have, you know, my ultimate goal for this is to be able to look back when I'm 70 and go, I was able to do that. Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. Really grateful that I was able to do that. But that means it's a work in progress. Yeah. And I'd been making loads and loads and loads of stuff and nothing was quite right. And I was my own worst enemy. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to book, be booked over in America, over in Ibiza and bumped into MK. I'm kind of like, oh, fucking hell, you're MK. <laughs> <laughs> in the back of my head, I'm going, don't fanboy, don't fanboy. <laughs> But he's the safest guy, and the you know, we were having a conversation, and I, and, and I said to him, you know, I'm trying to make music, and I just don't think anything's that good. He's like, get out your own way, man. Just yeah, get get out your own way, man. Obviously, MK can say that. <laughs> yeah, but he has so, a point, right? He has a he, point. Like, he has if, more it, than the biggest point. If you look at if you, and Mark will will definitely talk about this, and I'm sure you know, but like he did years of not being successful in music years mm -hmm. and he's so right i've never i've never heard that as well get out of your own way it's it's so true so true. i am my worst enemy left to my own devices will i will make something and i will delete it before i've even managed to hit save yeah left to my own devices I will think that every single radio show that I've done is shit. Yeah. I will think that everything that I've ever done is shit because that's just, that's the way my mind works. Yeah, my yeah. mind constantly says that I'm not good enough, that what I've done is not good enough and I need to quit. Yeah. I need to get out of my own way. I need to get out of my own way to be able to put stuff out. And I was lucky enough to be working with a manager at that point who was very encouraging. Yeah. And I sent him something and he said, you know what? I really like this. I'm going to send it to a few people. And he sent it to one of his manager friends who manages Cedric Gervais. Yeah. Cedric heard the record. I like this record. Can you finish this record? Can you get this record mixed? Didn't really know what the fuck I'm doing. Like I say, I, it's been such a long time yeah, since I was yeah. that training to be a mix engineer. And yeah. I, I can put music together. I'm shit at mixing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, luckily enough, um, friend within. Yeah. Um, it, it, Lee mixed rotate for me. Yeah. Um, sent it back over to Cedric. He liked it. He put it out on his label, and that was kind of that was the first Mr. Jam release. It's cool. Uh, before that, I 
tried to do remixes and worked with other people and tried to do stuff. But again, nothing was right. And yeah, yeah. I probably got, you know, 250, 300 tracks on my, on my system that are just, they're not right. Not they're, not, they're not good. Not good enough. I think that's a good thing though, isn't it? Because it goes back to that um, saying is don't release something if you're not a hundred percent with it, because we could all like, if we released all the music that we released, it would just be awful. Right. Like (laughs) (laughs) there's going to be a lot of shit records compared to good records out there. The ratio. I mean, that's the thing. There's a lot of shit records out there. (laughs) There are, there are, there are, are. but again, I don't have to have an opinion on those shit records. I just need to know that what I want to do is I want to be able to stand beside the body of work. And the, 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 it starts with me, first of all. Yeah. I can stand beside something when I find... You know that when you've heard something from me, I've been through every process in my head and had to ignore the majority of myself. <laughs> <laughs> no i respect that man i like i like how i like listening to people that produce and kind of do are in the creative space because i think everyone has this little voice in the back of the head that's telling them that everything's shit and i don't like even the biggest artists in the world like have it and i think it's just it's kind of comforting comforting for me to be like okay yeah you're kind of part of the same the same type of people that we we oh well, I can't speak for everyone, but I definitely have an ego of some sort, if you know what I mean. And egos are never a good thing, I don't think. Um, but also under that ego, there's also somebody that's bringing down your ego, and that's yourself <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, so talking about let's talk about radio a little bit. With Rick, when it comes to choosing records to play on any show really. And I I don't know how much is playlisted and how much you choose, if that makes sense, but you must be sent. I get sent an obscenely amount of music. I can't even imagine how much you get sent. How do you kind of go through all of this? How do you like get filters out? Um, so I, at the moment with one extra, I'm playlisted across the week on drive time. I play the music that is decided by the music team at One Extra. Yeah. You know, I spent a very long time. I spent over 10 years on One Extra not being playlist and being an evening DJ. Yeah. Radio tends to work if, if it's before seven o'clock in the evening. There's a, a, there's a playlist team that decides what gets played. Yeah. And if you are a daytime DJ, your job is to entertain and to play that music. Yeah. You get a couple of free plays per show. And I think, you know, I'm very lucky in the fact because of my history, I can put a few more in than maybe DJs can get away with. Um, But essentially on the whole, you don't choose the music that you play. The difference for me is dance anthems on a Saturday. That's 100% me and my producer, Nathan. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know. I didn't know that it was 100% you. I I knew that you had a big part in it, but I didn't know it was all all you. So that's, that's amazing. It's, it's, I, I have to give Nathan credit because me and him work, very hard on every single dance anthem show yeah but if there's a record that's being played on that show it's because me and nathan have decided that we want to play that there are arguments yeah uh there's records that i really want to play that he really thinks wouldn't work well on daytime radio one records that he really wants to play that i don't think really would well work well on daytime radio one but between the pair of us i think we've we've picked some bangers and and i think it's a weird way that my ears work but 
you know, the thing that I, my, my production vehicle is called Dance Energy. Yeah. And the reason why it's called Dance Energy is because the thing that speaks to me about a song or about a piece of music is its energy. Does it bring up a response in me or doesn't it? Yeah. And that's kind of my ethos to listening to music, to trying to make music, to try and kind of put music together. Um, I try and go through music with that same headspace on. Is it something that I can feel? Doesn't matter what genre it is, is it something that I can feel? And if I can feel it, can I play it? Yeah. And if I, if I can feel it and I can play it, then I will. And I think... I think what I try and do is I try and listen to as much as I possibly can that I yeah. get sent. I get sent. I do get sent an obscene amount of music. Um, and I try as hard as possible to to try and ignore numbers. Yeah. Because I think that numbers sometimes can get in the way of the energy. Yeah. But I try and just respond to the energy, and if the record that I hear gives me that feel let's take hallelujah your your your, your, okay. your hallelujah you're a perfect yeah. it's a perfect example first of all before before we go into that thank you so much for the support on that man like i can't can't thank you enough that's it was amazing the amount of times you played that so thank you but that record when i got when you sent me that record when i got that record when i heard that record i can't tell you what that record said to me but i knew i had to play it yeah and most of the records that I play on radio shows that I curate, it's that same thing. I can't tell you why, but I just knew I had to play it. Yeah. And it's it's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's an energy, it's something that is either there or it isn't, and I can't quite quantify it, but that's just how it works for me. Yeah. And, and you kind of have to go through a lot of music to be able to pick those ones that go, oh, I like that. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it's there isn't a better feeling for me when you're listening through to records and you find a record that's like, oh my days, this is unreal. <laughs> like, there's a guy called Tommy Farrow who is he's now a mate of mine, um, and he back in January he sent me his record called Let's Just. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't um i know annie was playing it a couple of times um and it was just a record that i was just like holy shit this is amazing like and it's just that feeling and i'll be honest with you i you might get this more i very rarely get that feeling like this is this is the one if you know what i mean and it's not even the one that i could play in my sets that often it's not really a will clark set friendly record it's just a it's just a wow record if that makes sense and I think I'm, I don't listen to promos because it takes me so long to find that wow record. And that's, I probably should listen to promos. I listen to my mates promos. If somebody sends me an email, because I know I have like a, a trust with friends where I probably know that I'm probably going to like it, but I, there's nothing better for me is just going in a record shop or going on Beatport and just like digging for hours and just, and just trying to find that record that no one else has heard or something that I can then show the world, if you know what I mean. And I, and I love, I love to be doing that. And where you've got with your radio show or all your radio shows, you have this huge power to make a record be heard by so by millions of people. 
And I think there's something beautiful about that that you have, which I don't know if I don't know if you look at it as that or if you just look at it, it's your job or something like that. But it's truly amazing what you can do with the power of radio. And is there and is there anything been in your career where a record has you've kind of championed a record and it's just gone from you finding it to then being a huge kind of hit? There's been a few that I've been very, very, very... And again, I want to choose my words carefully because I will say I've been lucky. Yeah. Because I think that being able to have... Look, I'm a firm believer in every experience or everything that you've had in your past leads you up to the the moment that you're in right there and there. Totally. And I've been amazed by, if I look back over my career on the radio, by how many times that I just happen to have been in the right frame of mind with the right platform to be able to play that record at that time that's then gone on to do that thing. Yeah. And honestly, none of it has ever been calculated. Yeah, of course. Because you can't calculate an emotional reaction. And I think you know, kind of, again, taking it back to that thing of the energy. I remember the first plaque, I'll go, I'll go with this. The first plaque that I ever received that I was ever given was for the Crookers remix of Kid Cudi's Day and Night. That's so weird. But that is part of Crookers is one of my best friends. <laughs> Tell him I said hello. <laughs> that is amazing. I didn't know that. He was on the show like two weeks ago. I know he was. <laughs> That's the first black I ever received. No way. Back, so if we probably go, it's like 2009. So yeah, about 11 years ago, I was putting together music for my one extra show. And again, going back to my hip hop background. Yeah. And A-Track is a big idol of mine. Love A-Track. Such love a nice him. guy. Such a lovely, lovely guy. And again, he's one of those people that when I've met, I've gone, don't fanboy, don't fanboy. <laughs> But he put that remix out on Fool's Gold. Yeah. Free download to begin with. Yeah. On his website. And I downloaded it. And I loved it. And this is right. No one knew who Kid Cudi was. Crookers. We didn't really know who they were. No, no one knew. No one knew. But there was just this record that was kind of, it reminded me of Mr. Wazo's Flatbeat. That reminded me of Garage. Yeah that was just like, I don't know what this is and I probably shouldn't be playing this on one extra, but fuck it. This is a great <laughs> record. And it's a free download. Yeah. So I started playing it and playing it and playing it and playing it and playing it in every show, starting off my show with it at seven o'clock, playing it and playing it and playing it. And from me playing it, I believe that the timeline is, is that Ministry of Sound over here heard it. Yeah wanted to sign it managed to sign it managed to give it an official release shot that weird video for it in a supermarket or corner shop i've never seen the video for it i'll go and check the video out it's weird (laughs) (laughs) it's weird and yeah and and at the same time that i'm playing it uh, it coincided with an amazing time with kind of radio 101 extra history where we were sharing studio space with Radio One. Yeah. And I'm there in one studio at exactly the same time that Zane Lowe's on air in the studio next to me on Radio One. And I'm playing this record really loud. 
and he's on air and he comes into my studio to tell me to turn it down and here's the record and thinks wow this is a good record let me go and play it as well that's amazing and you know you fast forward to it become it gets released it becomes a big hit i get sent a plaque and i'm like what the fuck like <laughs> I downloaded a, I was digging on the internet and I love A-Track. So I've gone to his website and I've downloaded a record for free and it spoke to me and I've played it and I've played it and I played it and it's been signed and it's a hit and I've been given a plaque for it. Wow. <laughs> I love that so much. That's, that's amazing, man. Cause yeah, that's just funny. I didn't know you kind of had the power in the, cause I was, I was, when was that? 2009? 2009. Yeah. So I was 19 then <clears throat> and that was that record was huge like unbelievably huge in in the UK and I in America I don't think people in America knew how big that record was here it was like it was and that was the time when there was always one record that was obscenely big it wasn't like like now there's always a lot of big records with the, the like spotify and apple music and things like that there's a lot of records that are doing very well at one time but there's never really there's not been many times i think in the last like five years maybe cola from camel fat was like that one record that you heard it everywhere you go and maybe even like mk17 that was a huge huge record but Back then, it was almost like there was one record and every DJ would play it on the radio. You'd hear it on every show and it was just like, it's yeah, it's crazy. I didn't know. I didn't know that was that was you. That's amazing. I love yeah. that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, but that's the thing, like, and that's why I'm saying to you, none of this can be by my design at all. No. None of it. No. It doesn't make sense. I remember... And again, going back through the history of, of, of what it is that I've been able and I've been lucky enough to do. I remember a friend of mine that I'd met randomly because she was a journalist and I was trying to, she interviewed me for something. She was really young and I thought she was mad cool, a, a lady called Cyan Anderson. I'd met her and really clicked with her and thought that she was great. And she'd sent me something from this guy, this ginger guy, from Framlingham that she was working with um, and she was helping him put together this stuff. And I started to talk to this guy on, on email and he had this thing called the number five collaborations EP. And he'd had collaborations with JME yeah. who I love he, collaborations with, had a collaboration with Kalashnikov. Yeah. I don't ever think saw the light of day that I've got somewhere collaboration with Wiley, like all of these artists that I'm playing on one extra that I love. And there's this is, he's a ginger kid that plays guitar but he can rap yeah, and he can rap good. And he's sending me these tracks and what's this, that? And, and it coincided with Chris Moyles, who used to be the breakfast show DJ on BBC Radio 1, yeah, doing a comic relief, longest radio show ever attempt to try that. and be on air for over 50 hours. The idea was, is that the Radio 1 schedule would be thrown out of the window and Chris and Comedy Dave, his co-host with the breakfast show, would be on air consistently for whatever 50 hours would end up being. Yeah. So at seven o'clock on Radio One back in the day, Zane Lowe was supposed to be on playing new music. Zane was on holiday. <laughs> they asked me if I would cover that slot. So me and my then producer, Delisa James, who very recently got named uh, the, the head of black music over at Amazon. Get me a job, Delisa, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we then put together a version of what my show is on One Extra to be able to co-host it with, Chris Moyles and Dave. Yeah. And I remember 
going into that studio and saying, he's a ginger kid. He's a great guitarist. He's a really good rapper and he's done this project. His name's Ed Sheeran. I think that he's going to do some big things. This is his record with JME called Radio. Yeah. Chris Press Play on it. That's the first time Ed Sheeran ever got played on radio. Damn, dude. That's amazing. And I can see in the background for anybody watching on YouTube, I can see all of the Ed Sheeran stuff <laughs> behind you. <laughs> Ed Sheeran plays because he's not forgot that and his team's not forgot that. And that's amazing. But that for me is like, I did not know that that was going to happen. And I can't take any credit for what happened afterwards. I just pressed play on a record that I really loved. And I was in a situation, I had a platform to be able to press play on that yeah. record. And it's gone somewhere. You know, there's another plaque in the background. Try to point it to it there. Yeah. Where a couple of friends of mine who are managers sent me this record saying, I think this is a decent record. We, we'd love to hear what you think about it. I thought, this is an amazing record. Let me play it on the radio. Lo and behold, it then sparks a bidding war. That record becomes Medusa's piece of your heart. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I think it's that's a huge got, record. What, 500 million streams or something like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But again, I just got sent this record. I thought, wow, I like this. I don't know what this is supposed to be or where it's supposed to fit, but I've got a platform. Let me try it out on the radio. Camel Fat's Cola. Like when I first got that record, it was pretty much me and Danny Howard playing that record yeah, and not knowing what the hell was going to happen with it, but knowing this is a good record. Yeah. Me, it needs to be aired. And I don't know why I felt that, but I did. And I think, you know, it's, it's part of the thing that, that I kind of always go back to, which is I'm not a cool kid. I am not cool. I've told you I used to be in fucking musicals. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am not cool. So those kind of things that, that would hold other people back from potentially playing a record because it might not fit my sound or my style or whatever. I just try and do I feel it? Yeah. And if I feel it, can I play it? Have I got a platform for it? And if I have, I'll do it. No, that's amazing, man. That's, that is amazing. And I guess being part of artist career as well as being an artist yourself is could be kind of this like amazing feeling seeing for me I, I can only say for myself like seeing an artist that I I kind of like either helped out or given some advice to or something and then seeing them go from nothing to everything is just this kind of amazing feeling and I think there can be when you're not happy in yourself and when you're not okay with where you're at in your life, there can be a lot of jealousy. And that's kind of where things kind of go downwards for, for people. But when you can hold your hand up and say, this person deserves it. And this person is just truly amazing for what they do. It's, it's such a, such a nice feeling in yourself as well. I've got to a space where I truly, truly believe that what is meant for you will happen for you. It won't be on your time scale. <laughs> never, <laughs> never. <laughs> and it might not be what you actually wanted it to be. Yeah. But if it's meant for you, it will happen for you. And, you know, I've, I have, I have suffered over the years with, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and believing my own shit. And like I said, you know, talking about earlier on, of used to go on Twitter and be a dickhead. Yeah. You know, there are a number of pluggers uh, in the music industry, people that send you music when you work on the radio called pluggers that have got Mr. Jam stories of me circa 2010, <laughs> 11, 13. 
I was a dick. <laughs> but that's because I was a dick. Yeah. And I've grown up from that. And do you know what? There is no better feeling than realizing that you've been able to be of service to something that has helped someone else. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with someone the other day who said, uh, I was listening to Dan's anthems and you played an Eric Pridge record and I was sat in my back garden and it was at the perfect time where the sun just went over my house and it just felt like a moment and I just, I didn't know what, I just felt uplifted and it felt like, you know, everything that I'd been worried about just disappeared and I just wanted to thank you for that. I'm like, I, I just played a fucking record on the pitch. <laughs> Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I did, but to be able to know that I was able to be of service to someone in that moment, I think is that's my goal. That's that's where I and like I say, that's where I, as a career goal, I want to be. A, I want to make it to the age of seventy. Yeah, and B, I want to be able to look back and go, wow, like that was great. Yeah, totally. I would be part of that. No, I I totally agree, and I think that's something that comes as you go through the industry and kind of experience more and kind of see more people around you and at where the level where you're at in your industry, you have a lot more people like that, like-minded people that have kind of been through that. Um, I want to, this is just me being a bit of a fanboy. Okay. I want to talk about Zane Lowe <laughs> and I don't, I don't know your relationship with him or, or anything, but for me, Zane, Zane was, Obviously, like Pete is, Pete is like God. Okay, but <laughs> no, I call I call I call Friday Night Radio One the Holy Trinity of dance music radio. Yeah, <laughs> Pete, Annie, Danny. Yeah, like, that's the Holy Trinity right there. Exactly, and and I think, but for me, growing up, Zane probably had more of an impact on my eclectic listening. And for me, getting to know artists outside of dance music more than anybody else. I used to work in a fish and chip shop and I was the dishwasher at the back. And every night I would just listen to Zane Lowe. Yeah. What's it like working? What was it like working with, with him? And like, how, how is, is he, I would say he's probably one of the best interviewers we've ever had when it comes to his long form interviews with, with artists um what's it like <laughs> this I is just me being selfish sorry about this <laughs> not being selfish at all i think that i've been really really and again i'll use the word lucky to be able to work with some of the best broadcasters in the world ever that means that for me i've always been around people that makes me want to up my game yeah and Zane's one of those people, as Annie's one of those people, as Pete, as Danny, as Shawnee B on One Extra, yeah. as you know, one of these people who you hear what they do on the radio and you're able to see how they've put it together and you go, how the fuck did you do that? Like that, wow. Zane was, is, and always will be a perfectionist. And the thing that he cares about the most is something that really inspired me, which is about the listener is about how is this going to sound yeah. how can i put this music together in a way that is going to be able to spark an emotional response in the listener and when we first met um you know i was the, i was the one extra kid um that was playing all of this music that just so happened to start 
going to be absolutely massive. He was this massive behemoth of, 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 of broadcasting, which he always, you know, always has been and always will be. And I, th- I like to think that there was just this mutual respect yeah. of, you know, two people that just really respected the fuck out of what each of us were doing. And I was, again, very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Like I say, it was a very nice time for Radio 101 Extra where I was in the studio next to him. And we developed a relationship through that. We developed a relationship through talking about music and really understanding music. And, you know, we had a lot of shared passions for music. That all went down the toilet when he invited me onto his show for this thing that he used to do on his show called Versus. Yeah, I remember that. So Versus was where he used to do a mini sound clash with other DJs on his show. I come from a sound system tradition. Yeah. I come from (laughs) Jamaican sound system tradition where if you're going to go into a sound clash, you're going to win. Yeah. So I turned up with dub plates I turned up with a Sindon remix of Chocolate Salty Balls. Chef's <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate Salty Balls that I got Sindon to make for me. Like he, tur- he turned up with fresh out of the studio, never been played before, literally demo finished 10 minutes before the show version of a Chase and Status record. That's so I'm good. turning up with dub play version of Maverick Sabre records. And we didn't talk for two years after. No way. <laughs> I went too far. I went too far. No, I did. I did. And again, this was the period of Mr. Jam being a dick. Yeah. I went too far. And I didn't. I, 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 I didn't give it the reverence that it deserved, which was essentially, yes, it's called a versus, but it's about two people basically being on the radio and sharing shit on the radio. It's yeah. a feature to be able to share shit on the radio. And it's a feature for Zane to be able to shed a light on other broadcasters that he rated, that were doing things that he rated. And yeah, it kind of, it made things weird, but you know, all credit to Zane, you know, he kind of, we, 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 we got back together. We, yeah. you know, we, we, we then started to talk again and, I apologized. And, you know, again, I will apologize again. I went too far, Zane. I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> really sorry. It's probably not cool to come on your radio show and play dub plates and, you know, cuss you on your show. Like, it's not cool. It's not cool. It's not cool. And I wasn't cool at that point. I wasn't right in my head at that point. Um, but hey, life. But he's just such an inspiring person. He's such an inspiring character. And, you know, to kind of see what he's been able to go on and achieve over at Beats One and, to essentially create something out of nothing at such amazing places as Apple, you know, and and to be able to give so many people opportunities after that, I think it's just, it's a sight to behold. And as a broadcaster, you know, he's, he's so engaging. And as a person, he's so generous. He's so friendly, but he also, we both come from that hip hop school of, yeah, uh, if we are going to, we'll be best of friends. But if we're going to go into a scratch battle, like I, I will pull something out in front of you. Like if, if you're I'm going to win, you're, you're <laughs> going to win. <laughs> Simple. But you kind of, you also then want to remember that, you know, you don't want to go too far. Yeah, but yeah. I, that's why <laughs> if anyone asks me, do you want to get involved in the clash? The answer is no. no. That, that <laughs> wrong. Again, it's like being on Twitter. Like you want to start a Twitter rant. No. <laughs> this is better for everyone involved if I say no. Yeah. Talking about sound clashes, that I don't know if it still is because I've not really been around in the UK for that much, but 
Does Radio One still do the sound clash? No. Did that stop? It stopped a while ago. Yeah, we we kind of we did we did a few. We yeah. did a few. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 not something that happens anymore. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so where where do you where do you see broadcasting going in the future? Wow. Wasn't expecting that. Sorry, mate. <laughs> it's all right. It's an open conversation between two now friends, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, until you bring the dub plates out and then we're not going to be friends. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like a Tory Hanso and Kill Bill. Just don't, don't do it anymore. I don't do it anymore. Sorry. It's not me. Um, do you know what? Lockdown and the pandemic and the George Floyd Black Lives Matter situation and the kind of the socio-economic political situation that we find ourselves in today, I think has proven to me more than ever the power of radio. Yeah. I think, you know, no disrespect to anyone at all, but TV, you're behind a screen. Yeah. It's very hard for you to be able to have that connection with someone that is away from social media you're behind a screen. You've been given limits. Um, but there's nothing more intimate than audio. Yeah. Most people will listen to it on headphones or on a speaker. And it will be that moment where you feel like you've got a connection, a direct connection to that person because you feel like they're talking to you. And as a broadcaster, I was always taught you speak to one person. Yeah. It's a conversation between you and one person. You know, if I'm presenting a new music show, it's about... I'm excited about this record. What do you think? Yeah. What do we think? What do you think? It's such an intimate form of broadcasting that I don't think can be replicated by anything else. It's so unique. Yeah. That I think that the future of radio is more of that because I love streaming. I love streaming. For me, streaming reminds me of record shops. Yeah. It reminds me of going into the record shop and going to someone and going, what's this? What's that? What's that? Yeah. Looking at all these pretty pictures on the wall going, that looks interesting. Can I listen to that? That for me is what streaming is. Yeah, yeah. That feels like retail. Yeah. Radio, music radio in particular, you haven't picked what you're going to listen to if you're a listener. You don't know what's coming next if you're a listener. Yeah you've got a connection to the person that's bringing you that music, that's bringing you that piece of entertainment, that's telling you that joke, that's doing that random feature that will make you laugh, that will lift your spirits. And like I say, to almost go full circle in the conversation, part of what has been an honour to be able to be on air at this point in time is that at a point where we were told that we needed to lock down and isolate, if you're listening to the radio, and there's a broadcaster on that radio and they're talking to just you, you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. No, man, I love that. It gives me, it kind of gives me goosebumps, like thinking like that, because I like, it's weird, but, and I know we're not in World War Two, all right, but I remember stories and actually being taught stories and things like that in World War Two, like, that's all people had to know the news and what's happening in the future and what's going to happen or what's happened, et cetera, et cetera. And that all came from broadcasting. Mm. And I think there, there comes back from, and like all the pi- old, old pirate ra- radio stations and the current pirate radio stations, it all created a culture of people listening and you can't say anything back to them. 
you're just listening. I mean, you, you, you can on Twitter. You can on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> now you can. But it's, yeah. it's, it's like, and I love that what you said, that the fact that it's, you don't know what's next because I'm, I'm a sucker for it and I'm the first to hold my hand up. Being in America, I stopped listening to radio. Um, I'm not a huge fan of how radio is in America and coming back to the UK, I kind of still can get into that where I just like listen to a podcast or listen to a Spotify playlist or something like that. And Friday nights and Saturdays when dance anthems is on, when Pete's on, when Annie's on, all of that. And Danny, like that is a time when you just like, just listen and you don't have to worry about anything else. And you, and no matter what you're doing, if you're driving, if you're walking, if you, whatever, you can just listen and you don't know what's going to be next. And I love that because you don't get that in any other way of life in, in music, even on Spotify, we live in this culture or Apple music. We live in this culture now where if you don't like the song, you turn it off. Whereas, yeah. And you can't do that on radio. And I love that. And yeah, you can turn the radio off, but most people just don't. Yeah. Most people just keep it, keep it on. Most of, I mean, look, and this is where I think it's radio is in such a brilliant shape because I think that there's more amazing stations than ever. Yeah. I think that there's more amazing broadcasters than ever that are given an opportunity to be able to be amazing, that are given that opportunity to be able to expose people to things that they would never have chosen to be exposed yeah. to begin with and i think that i think you're absolutely right i think you know american radio i love american radio yeah when it's done, when it's what when it's done right yeah i think that there are still a number of really amazing broadcasters in america but there's a lot of radio stations in america that are just so format driven yeah that i can understand where your love for radio might have been taken away because if you're sticking on certain radio stations in america Certain radio stations just sound like a playlist that no one is talking to you at. Totally. Yeah, yeah. You barely have that in the UK. Yeah. I mean, even those radio stations that have got a similar format to that have still got broadcasters. Still got personality. Still yeah. got personality. And they still talk to you. They still tell you funny stories. They still challenge you. Yeah. They still might play a record in between the same five other records that you've never heard before that you go, what, the, what is this? Yeah, yeah, huh? totally. Yeah. I think, look, it's 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 such an honour to be able to be on the airways, to be able to say that I can play stuff, that I can talk to people and that I can have this connection to people that I would never have been able to do otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, for the kid that was, you know, three years old in his bedroom with a Fisher-Price record player playing these records, not really having anyone to talk to, to go, what do you think of this? That for me is the dream. Because yeah. I can do that. I could play that record and go, what do you think it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's amazing because I don't know, I don't know if you heard it when like Spotify and Apple Music came out and a lot of people were talking like, oh, this is the end of radio. This is, this is like game over for radio. We don't, we don't need radio anymore. Um, and I honestly think coronavirus, if it's had any positives, it's been to prove that we do need radio. I wouldn't be surprised if the next stage, I mean, look, Zane's done it with Beats One. Yeah. It's proven that if you are a tech company or a retailer yeah. or someone that's at that level of the industry, if you have a platform where you can engage like radio, yeah, then things will change. You can, you can change the needle on culture. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Have a conversation. I totally so agree. I wouldn't be surprised if the next stage is you're going to hear and, and see Spotify radio, you're going to hear and see Amazon radio, you're going to you're going to see more people getting into that marketplace. But I I, you know, I, I welcome it. I really do totally. because I think that, I think that one of the things that broadcasting in this country suffers from is there's not that much opportunity for people who haven't had the right schooling, yeah. had the right interning, had the right kind of relationships. But the more that I'm seeing platforms that are, that are popping up that are like the kind of the, the 2020 versions of pirate radio stations, yeah, yeah. the more that I'm thinking, this is going to, this is going to be the future. This is totally. going to change. And you're going to see more diverse options because let's, let's be honest. You, you mentioned Bristol. Bristol's music scene existed because of underground parties and pirate radio. Yeah, 100%. And from that, you get Massive Attack, you get Trip Hop, you get Portishead, yeah. you get Ronnie Size Represent, you get V Recordings, you get all of that amazing stuff. You get Smith and Mighty, you yeah, get yeah. all of that heritage that then leads you to where Bristol is now. If the radio wasn't there, it wouldn't have spread. No, I agree. I really, I do agree. And I think it's about communities and culture. And let's be honest, 90, I would say 95% of communities and culture all revolves around music. And it starts with music. It starts somewhere with music and then it kind of grows into other things. And, but generally it starts from people escaping everyday life by listening to music with their mates and then talking about it and then other people passing it on and kind of how pirate radio starts. Right. Um, and I think the amazing thing about Apple music, I know Amazon are doing a lot of big things at the moment as well. And same with Spotify and just the likes of us having a conversation today and however many people listening to it after is, the, the the joys of the internet is that it's unlimited and you yes. can just it, there is no end if you know I mean, we could have a conversation every day for the next 10 years and there's no limit there's no one saying you can't do this there's no one saying you can't tv you can't get that you can't do that on tv whereas on the platforms now you can do what the hell you want if you know what i mean and i think i think there's going to be a lot more learn i've probably learned more listening to podcasts and then I probably did at school. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Because there's so much out there. There's so much information. And it's all information that I probably didn't know I wanted to know. And now I know. Absolutely. But that's, that's also the thing is that you're listening to it already engaged. Yeah. I know if there was times at school where I was in a lesson, I'm like, I, I, I can't be bothered. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, for me, I, lo I love podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. I love, you know. I very rarely get the opportunity to appear on podcasts. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you. But I think, again, why is it that people love podcasts? It's the same connection as radio. The yeah. thing that you don't get from podcasts that you can get from radio is the live aspect. Yeah, totally. People could be listening to this now. You know, we're recording it in July 2020. Someone could be listening to this five years time. Yeah. And it's a document of what happened at this point. But yeah, yeah. You turn on the radio right now. It's happening it's now. now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think that's the thing. That is the one thing that you don't necessarily get. 
a lot of people listen to things back now. Like I'm, I like with the BBC sounds, if you know what I mean, it, I, tell me if I'm wrong, but a lot of that is like a listen back feature, if you know what I mean, which you kind of have to do nowadays because that's the the world we live in. If you it started with, with the iPlayer, if you know, with catch up and TV with sky where you could pause it and then rewind and things like that. It's that we, it's that demand culture where we want it when we want it, not when it's happening. And that's where I think it's been really interesting for me because I think, you know, to not be corporate because I'm not corporate, but, you know, BBC Sounds, one of the things that's really interesting for BBC Sounds is that they have invested a lot of money into podcasts, yeah, a lot of money into on-demand content, but they've also invested into an opportunity where you can listen to live radio on your phone wherever you are. Yeah which I think is bringing a different engagement level back to radio. And what I saw over lockdown is there was a lot of people that said to me, I listen to dance anthems on demand normally. Yeah. Listen to it when I'm running at five o'clock in the morning on a random Wednesday or when I'm in the gym or when we're on the work, you know, we're on the site or whatever, but I'm listening to you live right now. And that's amazing because I think that, you know, the schedule people's schedule is such that we don't necessarily have the time that we used to able to sit down in front of the wireless yeah <laughs> and the family listen to family story time like it, it doesn't happen anymore yeah no i agree but i think again even with that people are almost and again i suppose this is just a this is just a thought and a feeling of, of just how i think it is i think it all goes back to that thing that i've been talking about a lot which is the energy of it which is you know we aren't you aren't going to take this conversation that we've had and edit it down to bits no and put out 30 seconds of the conversation. Like the conversation is the conversation. Yeah. It is a document of a live conversation. Totally. People listening again to live radio shows, it's a document of a live conversation that happened at that moment in time. Even a pre-recorded radio show, the best pre-recorded radio shows sound live. Yeah. And you would never know would in the million know. years that they were pre-recorded. See, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know this probably until I started working with Tom, Tom Brown years ago. Like <laughs> I didn't know that people would pre-record it because then I didn't know, like, I was like, how do they go on holiday? Like, how do they take time off? Like, are they just like slaves to their job? Um, and he was like, no, they pre-record it. And I was like, oh, damn. And then you're like, you never notice that a, ra- a radio show is pre-recorded until you know that it's pre-recorded and then you're like oh okay because like we all know i'm not gonna say any names but we all know quite a a famous dj that doesn't necessarily live in or there's quite a few it doesn't necessarily live in the country that it's being played live so they have to be pre-recorded so it's but then when you know it's pre-recorded you're like okay this shows how good this broadcaster is yes (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, for the record, because of the time that I'm on air, I'm not allowed to be pre-recorded. So if you hear yeah. me, I'm live. And yeah, I have been a slave to my job. I haven't been on holiday this year. Yeah. Probably won't, but never mind. <laughs> That's also COVID. But like, look, it's, it's, it's just testament to, and again, like I say, podcasts, the best podcasts, the ones that I think that people tend to engage with the most feel like a live conversation. The best pre-recorded radio shows feel like a live conversation. Yeah. And I think that's where the platform really comes into its own. Because I think, you know, we all are aware that when you're watching the TV program, you know that there's a big crew behind it. Yeah. You know, you know, people have been through makeup, that there's lighting, that you know, there's there's a there's a camera and it goes through a lot of things before it reaches your screen. 
even the interactive TV programs, and I'm talking like the competition stuff or the your X Factors or whatever, you know that there is a, a part of manufacture that goes into that before you consume it. Yeah. Radio has that jeopardy. It's a rawness. You could put in the most amount of preparation to a show, but something could fuck up and you've got to respond in the moment. You could swear like that and then it's game over. <laughs> and then your producers are writing letters and doing forms. I will never forget. I was in, it was Ibiza, Radio 1 Ibiza, and Tom and I were doing Pete's show um, at Cafe Mambo. And we were in the studio and Eric Prids came in and he said shit like three, four times, like in a row and didn't even know he was swearing. <laughs> and he said it once and everyone looked at each other and then he said it twice and everyone was like sweating. I think it was, it, I think it was Rachel that was the producer of the show then. I can't remember. I could be wrong. Um, but by the end of it, she was literally like having a heart attack. She was like the amount of paperwork I have to fill out now. <laughs> And he was like, why? What did I say? And they were like, you, you said shit. And he's like, I didn't even know that was a swear word. <laughs> I mean, he's got English as a second language. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. I love that. The closest but, that I've ever come to swearing on air, though, I think on the BBC, was I had Ella Air do a live session for me. And she was so pitch perfect. I went, wow, that was f- phenomenal. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> that, that woman is unbelievable she's unbelievable i would she's marry her tomorrow as well she is unbelievable and obviously she's extremely attractive but her voice is just unreal and as a songwriter she is ridiculous yeah i didn't know she i don't know didn't know that she wrote everything like you look at her credits and wow like there's there's a good few like ray oh wow yeah she's great and as a vocalist and as a performer and that's the thing i think you know where we are right now is that there's so much talent there's so many talented people yeah are just ridiculously good that it's just it's a great time for everything across the genres totally and specifically for dance music like it's just the talent is phenomenal. And in the UK, man, we're so lucky. We, we, we are so lucky. And I don't, I was talking about this the other day and I don't know why, but we have so much good talent in the UK in all genres of music. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why we're this tiny island that has so much history and, and so much future in music. Um, and I don't know if it's because we, that's, it's how we celebrate it. And I don't know if that's because of radio and, or because of whatever, but we're so lucky. Mm. We're mm. so lucky to just, I, I remember when like Ella, let's talk, talking about Ella and all when she first kind of came out and was it with Rudimental? Waiting all night. Waiting, yeah. Dude, that record just, it, that record. <laughs> I've cried at that video. I've watched that video over and over again and I've cried over and over again. And it's just like, I love it how music can just bring memories where it can kind of take you back. I I did like a quarantine quarantine mix for Charlie T, which is almost like a mini mix kind of to a certain extent. Um, and I was like, I have to go in. I was like, get the dublets out. And like, I had to go in on this and I had to make sure that I did it to the best of my ability. And 
I was listening to all my like old records from back in the day and I'm just like some of these records just bring back so many good memories to and you can pinpoint with music exactly where you were when you first heard it if you know what I mean yep. and exactly yep. who you were listening with or what like if you'd broken up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever at that time and if you were happy or sad and I just don't think there's anything else that can ever bring that feeling back that, that's why I say what I say about music it is a universal language yeah, and that's man. why I say what I say about the energy of it and why I feel like I'm just so honored to be able to be someone that can play a part in helping that move forward yeah it's ridiculous, it's ridiculous. I think that's a beautiful way to end man this, this, <laughs> let's let's be honest that is I, I don't think we can go further than that um quickly moving forward uh you just had your single called When out. Uh, how's that doing? Happy with it? Um, listen, I, I, I'm just over the moon that anybody thinks that it's worthwhile. It's a great record, man. I love it. It's Thank a great you. record. Thank you for putting it on your playlist as well. I appreciate you, man. Thank anytime. You. Anytime. There's a, there's a uh, I don't know when, I don't know if think if, uh, yeah, this is probably an exclusive for you to know, but there's an inner city remix of it coming. No way. Yes. That was a moment. I love that. Yeah, I bet. Uh, so, yeah, there's an Inner City remix of that coming. And then there's a, I've done like a dub mix um, as well that that's coming. And then from that point onwards, I think I'm going to release something once a month for the rest of the year. Do it, man. Do it. Just to get it out there. Just to get out my own head, get out my own way. It's just getting used to it. It's just getting used to For For me, if I can help you with this, what I do is when I, I make a record... I test it out for a long time. Obviously, we can't test it out now because we can't. <laughs> um, but once it's tested out and then I decide to release it, obviously, I have a great team around me and we kind of do everything we can to make a record do be successful. But the one thing is the day that... It, and this has taken me a while to get here. The day it's released, it's no longer my record. No. It's everybody else's. And whatever happens with that record is it's everyone else's choice to what they want to do with that record. Um, and the only way I've got that is by just releasing just music as much music as possible. Mm. Because I think for me, I was very precious on the first few first 20 releases I ever did. And then the more, the, the, the less precious I got, the more successful my records became. Yeah. Because it's more about, for everyone else to have as theirs and they can do whatever they want of it. So many, there's so many, even with like hallelujah, if you know mm. what I mean? Like I know that people, so many people's opinions on that record is so different to me. The fact that you played it that many times on radio, I never made that record to, to, to be played on radio. Mm. You take my record, you take me higher. That got daytime plays. Like, <laughs> it's a dance it's a club record if you know what i mean like it's and i think that's the beautiful thing is when when you just hold your hand up and be like it's not mine anymore go it's gonna go do what it's gonna do that's that's what helped me the most thanks man i appreciate that so for anybody that doesn't listen to your shows when can they listen to you obviously even in america and things like that 
so uh, I am on UK time Monday to Thursday on BBC Radio One Extra from 3 p.m. until 7 p.m. until the schedule returns back to a post-COVID world, which will be 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, on that show. Like I say, it's much more playlisted, much more kind of black music, lots of hip hop, R&B, dancehall, uh, reggae, drill, etc., etc. Uh, and then every Saturday. 3 till 7 p.m. on BBC Radio 1 with Dan Santhams. Uh, and, and you can listen to that at any point on the BBC Sounds app. Or, you know, there's lots of places that rip it. <laughs> <laughs> you never Love know, that. you might have your brand new favourite tune. Love that. How can people follow you on your socials, mate? M-I-S-T-A-J-A-M is how I spell my name across all social media, including TikTok, which I said I would never get because I'm on it. Are you on TikTok? Um I've got to send you the best meme about men being on TikTok. <laughs> I, listen, do you know what? I follow all the, the chefs. Oh, really? TikTok, like 60 second, 15 second recipes. Like my cooking game has gone through the roof. <laughs> I, need, I need to see the proof of this. <laughs> right, dude. Thank you so much for being on. It's been an absolute honor. Like, thank you. It means a lot, man. Big love. Thanks. Take care of yourself, man. So that is a wrap. I absolutely love that conversation. Jam is an amazing guy. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you did, please go and share it. S- send it to your mates. Tell everyone to listen to it. Do whatever you want to do. Um, hit the reviews in the review button, whatever it is. Also, thank you very much for listening. It means the world and keep safe. See you soon.